0: Welcome to another guest analysis episode of SMWX. Today, we're talking about the role of judges and the limits of their activities in public and in society at large. Are there such limitations? And we're talking about this because of statements that were made by the Chief Justice Raymond Zonda. So we'll get into that, but I want you to frame this conversation and this episode around three questions. Number one, do judges have freedom of speech? Number two, do judges have to follow the letter of the law or can they ignore it? And number three, is judicial activism justified? If you want to think about it another way, is Batman a legitimate superhero? We'll see, we'll see. So a framing example, an example just to get us going, is there's a judge, Justice Edwin Cameron is a retired judge now, and he was operating in the role of inspecting judge of the Judicial Inspectorate for Correctional Services. And he found out everything that there is to be found out about the Tabo Besta story. But because the story was going so slowly, he decided to take drastic action. What was the drastic action? He leaked the story to ground up, and he admitted as much. He was sitting as a board director of Ground Up, which is a media publication. And Ground Up reported everything about the Tabo Besta story. And as we know, there are two people right now, actually more than two people sitting in prison because of the actions of this judge. If he had not acted in this way, outside of the parameters of his job, we would not know everything there is to know about Tabo Besta. Dr. Nandi would still be free, and who knows what else could be happening. Maybe even Thabo Besta himself would still be free. So that's a framing question I want you to hold. Was Justice Edwin Cameron justified? Many people think he was. What do you think? But hold that example in your head as we look at the chief justice, a current justice, the chief justice, and things that have happened around him and around Jacob Zuma, so let's go back to 2020. In 2020, Jacob Zuma and his legal team walked out of the State Capture Commission. Very dramatic, very dramatic departure from the State Capture Commission. And the Chief Justice, I mean, the Deputy Chief Justice who was the chairperson of the commission then said, we're going to go straight to the Constitutional Court and we're going to make sure that this guy shows up. So they went to the Constitutional Court on an urgent basis asking for a compelling order to make sure that Zuma would would appear. He was meant to appear on the 15th of February, 2021, because the court did award that order saying Zuma must appear. Zuma did not show up on the 15th of February. And they went back. The State Capture Commission went back to the Constitutional Court. And there was a finding at that second stage that Zuma was in contempt of court. As a result of that finding he was sentenced to 15 months in prison and all hell broke loose. As you recall, there were riots. uh, The cost to the economy was significant. Lives were lost. And behind that were decisions that were made by the current Chief Justice Raymond Zondo to go to uh, the Constitutional Court. There were questions at the time around direct access that was granted by the constitutional court. There were questions that were raised about the sanction that was chosen because typically when you are found to be in contempt of court, the remedy that is implemented is what is known as a coercive order. A coercive order gives the respondent an opportunity to avoid imprisonment by complying with the original order and desisting from the offensive conduct. Such an order is made primarily to ensure the effectiveness of the original order by bringing about the compliance. And that's a quote from the judgment in and of itself. A punitive order, on the other hand, results in imprisonment or any other sanction meted out as a result of the non-compliance. On numerous occasions, it has been confirmed that the principal purpose of a contempt of court proceeding when an order has been disobeyed has been the imposition of a penalty in order to vindicate the court's honor consequent upon the disregard of its order and to compel the performance thereof. It is indeed the accepted practice in contempt matters to seek compliance, using punishment as a means of coercing the same. So the decision that was made to directly commit Jacob Zuma to prison was not the typical process for a contempt of court do you understand what i'm saying to you that was not typical that was not standard what does this all have to do with 2023 what does this all have to do with the chief justice raymond zondo it has this in 2023 the chief justice was taking interviews and making comments about once again Jacob Zuma, in respect to whether or not he should be prosecuted, in respect to his corruption trial, he made comments as well about the prosecution or non prosecution thereof of people who were implicated in the Zondo report who are currently serving on the cabinet. And there are many such people. Now, the question that was then raised by the public was does, does, Zondo have something against Zuma. When Zuma said that he knows Zondo, did that have some bearing? Is there more to this? And if you recall, there was a time when Julius Malema even asked the chief justice and said, listen, you went into hotels to speak about me, to speak about things that I had said, and you don't want to divulge that information. What did you speak about with Zuma? These are all questions which are circulating and continue to circulate because people are now asking, is there a vendetta against Jacob Zuma? Is there animus against Jacob Zuma? I don't know the answer to those questions. Maybe you have a view, but there's something that I think is important for us to explore further. And before we go into the Chief Justice and his comments, I think it's important just for us to do some law 101, if you will. And hopefully, if you you haven't studied the law, this will be very educational for you. So there is an idea in law that is known as legal positivism. Legal positivism is a theory of law that holds that the validity of a law is not dependent on its moral correctness, but rather on its sources and the manner in which it was enacted. The theory is primarily concerned with positing the law. So under under legal positivism, judges basically just implement the law as it is. A key thinker in formulating this theory of legal positivism is Herbert Lionel Adolphus Hart, HLA Hart. On the other side of legal positivism, you have people who say, listen, you can't just implement any law or enforce any law because some laws are immoral. Slavery was immoral, for example. Apartheid was immoral. So, there has to be more to the law than just the implementation of the letter of the law. So, these people are known as natural law theorists. Natural law theory argues that there's an intrinsic relationship between law and morality. This theory, as contrasted to legal positivism, states that the validity of a law is inherently tied to its moral correctness. Natural law theorists believe that there are certain moral and ethical principles that are universal and immutable, and which all just laws must conform to. According to natural law, these are principles that are derived from nature, from God, or from some higher reasoning that transcends human-made law. So you've got two schools of legal thought. One, just implement a law as it is, and a law is fine as long as it exists on paper. On the other side, no, a law has to be morally correct to be just. A key thinker in this particular school of thought is a philosopher known as John Locke. Before 1994, South Africa's legal history was marked by judicial restraint, particularly in in issues of political judgments, etc. The court's Often deferred to the legislative and executive branches, rarely challenging the legality of apartheid laws. This era was characterized by a judiciary that largely viewed itself as a neutral arbiter, strictly interpreting laws without regard to their social or moral implications. So the law was the law, and they would implement the law. And of course, we all know that led to harsh, drastic adverse outcomes for everyone. But after 1994, judges moved away from that and they started practicing what is known as judicial activism. Judges have actively interpreted laws to remove problematic aspects of those laws. They've actually found ways to close the gaps, to remove apartheid elements from laws, to uphold human rights of dignity, of life, to uphold the tenets of this constitution which are based on dignity, equality, and freedom. They've done that, and that is demarcated in a variety of cases. Now, the question around judicial activism is what is the limit? Because in the context of the courts infusing social justice into the judgments of the court. That has generally been celebrated in the South African context. But the question has always been, what is the limit of judicial activism? At what point does a judge go so far that they begin to undermine the principle of separation of powers? The concept of separation of powers refers to the division of government responsibilities into different branches to prevent abuse of power, to improve transparency, and to make sure that everything is done in a legitimate way. Fundamentally, it's avoiding that thing of giving one man too much power. So you have different branches. You have got the executive, you've got the legislative branch, and then you've got um, the judiciary. These branches are not supposed to encroach on each other's territory. But as you can see, under the principle of judicial activism, sometimes you can get a little bit close as a judge in lawmaking because you have to almost close gaps in laws that are brought before you and challenged constitutionally or whatever capacity they are challenged. So this is where we find ourselves now with the chief justice. The chief justice was chairperson of the Zondo Commission, and he seems genuinely concerned about corruption. He listened to testimony about various people taking money, taking bribes, destroying state-owned enterprises. And he listened to that information for years. And then he wrote a report, along with his other peers, around what should be done. But he's sitting here in 2023, going into 2024, seeing very little done, seeing the very same ministers that were mentioned in the report still enjoying political power. And he's commenting on this stuff. There is a role that he has to comment on this stuff, of course. But it seems to me that there's a little bit of judicial activism that is creeping in. Because he's beginning to aggressively question things, people, to the point that even politicians have started coming at him. There was a time earlier this year where Figi Mbalula was very critical of the chief justice. Other politicians have also been very critical of him and accused him of going beyond the the parameters of his power. Now the question here is, is this judicial activism justified? Remember Justice Edwin Cameron? He found out about Tabo Besta. He was like, nothing is being done about Tabo Besta. Let me just let me let me Let me leak this to my colleagues there so that they can accelerate this process. He leaked it, they accelerated the process. Everyone was shocked. Tabo Besta is back in prison. Justice was served. Is this what the chief justice is doing? Is he appreciating that he has a role to play bigger than the confines of his robes? Before we delve much further into that. It's important now to look at what does the law say. Because a judge, remember the core question, does a judge have freedom of speech? A judge does not necessarily have freedom of speech or activity. Let's look at different parts of um, the judicial code. The judicial code in Article 11 says that judges must have restraint. A judge must, except in the discharge of judicial office, not comment publicly on the merits of any case pending before or determined by that judge or any other court. Can't comment, Baba. You Must. That's what it says. A judge must not enter into a public debate about a case irrespective of the criticism leveled against the judge, the judgment, or any other aspect of the case. So a judge cannot be on Twitter spaces saying it did judge. A judge cannot do that. A judge cannot go to the public and school the public. And that's what the judicial code says. And it says a judge must refrain from any action which may be construed as designed to stifle legitimate criticism of that or any other judge. So I'm making this video right now. But the judge cannot come later and have a problem with the fact that I'm making this video and start debating on Twitter spaces or on WhatsApp or even on TikTok. That's not allowed by the judicial code. That's Article 11. But there's more. There's more. And it's important for us to all know this so that when we talk about these things, we are talking from a position of knowledge, information. A judge must... uh, Article 12 says the following a judge must not participate in controversy or undermine the integrity of the institution. And that includes belonging to any political party or secret organization. And unless it is necessary in the discharge of judicial office, become involved in political controversy. We're going to come back to this political controversy thing just now. A judge may not participate in activities which are incompatible with the confidence or the impartiality of the judge. A judge may not become involved in any activity that affects the status of the judge, their independence, or impartiality. You know what, what, what court documents love to speak about or what legal documents love to speak about when talking about judges? They love to talk about impartiality. It's a great word. Impartiality. I'm probably not saying it the way they say it in London. Impartiality. Impartiality means equal treatment of all rivals or disputants. It speaks to fairness. Equal treatment of all rivals or disputants. Fairness. It speaks to not having predetermined outcomes. So this is the expectation of a judge. So when the chief justice goes onto a platform and makes comments about the failure of the national prosecuting authority to charge people, that judge is going beyond the confines of what is acceptable speech for them based on the judicial code. When they start making political comments about people that they've already been speaking about, such as Jacob Zuma in this case, they enter into political activity, which goes beyond the, the, what the code says. And there's already precedent for making this conclusion. The former Chief Justice Mohuang Mohuang made statements about an international affairs issue based on his religion, and he was found to have violated the code for, for, for similar grounds as what the, the, the Chief Justice is doing now. He was found to have indulged and participated in controversy. He had to apologize because he had violated the code. Even though he has a right to free speech, that right to free speech is limited because of the robes which he wears as a judge. Do you understand? And when you are the chief justice, those requirements are more heavy on your shoulders because you are the leader of the whole institution of the judiciary. You are supposed to be the prime example of judicial conduct. If you cannot uphold that standard, then other judges will not even be viewed as being capable of upholding the standard. It affects the credibility of the institution. Already there are criticisms of the judiciary. Already there are many people who say they are concerned about the fairness of the legal system, and that it favors some and does not favor others. That is something that already exists in status quo. In addition, there are some people who speculate that in the the State Capture Commission, certain issues were totally ignored. Evergreen contracts were totally ignored. Some people's children had contracts and got money from Busasa. Contracts that were questionable, totally ignored or not referenced enough. Some companies, which were implicated by other individuals for having participated in monopoly activities, said that they were not going to come to the State Capture Commission. And it was largely ignored. Too many people, state capture continues to this day. And when those people think about the State Capture Commission, they think perhaps. Certain issues were ignored so that other people who were participating in the State Capture Commission could ascend into positions of more significance, more power. So when those people come back later and are still talking about the same issues, people may be of the view that, this thing was just about Zuma. This thing was not about state capture. Why are we still talking about Zuma? And that undermines further the credibility of the institution. But I want want us to not think about this from a Zuma perspective, because it's not about names. It's not about Zuma. It's not about Zondo. It's about the principles. Going back to the principles, now you have an understanding, listener, viewer, wherever you're consuming this, you know what legal positivism is. You know what natural law theory is. You know what judicial activism is. You, you have a context, an example of Justice Edwin Cameron and the Tabo Bester case. Do you think that it is justified for a judge who is sitting on all of the information to start to play a more aggressive role in society, even though that may be going against the letter of the code which they themselves subscribe to? Do you think that judges who know about corruption by ministers, corruption in other spaces, people were hearing about different types of solutions which will be offered to corrupt officials saying, listen, this is not right. And even though it's not my place to say it, I'm going to say it because if I don't say it, nothing will happen. State capture was a serious issue and continues to be a serious issue. So if you are one of the people who could change or stop state capture, Would you be stopped by the fact that you're a judge, even if you are a chief justice? Or do the interests of society prevail over the judicial code that you yourself signed up for? I'm not sure where you stand on that issue, but I hope that this episode made you think a little bit more sharply about these issues and understand why some people are very unhappy with the conduct of the Deputy Chief Justice in speaking on these matters in the way that he has done. Let's have a conversation though in the comments. I'll be there, Cecil will be there. Aye, yeah. <laughs>